Hi everyone, this is Lee. I'm here with Jerry and Bob. We're One New Man Ministries and we are a ministry of reconciliation and compassion. And it's an Ephesians 2 ministry because through the cross and the propitiation, the sacrifice of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, for our sins, for atonement for our sins, and his resurrection, we have been made into one new man, all who believe in him, and together we are being made into one new man, together all believers everywhere, to be a dwelling place for the Lord. And we just uh, want to study the Old Testament and the New Testament together from the point of view of Yeshua as Savior, Jesus Christ as our Savior, and see what insights we can gain when we look at the Old Testament from the point of view of knowing how God's plan for redemption works out So through Yeshua. And so, Jerry, what are we studying today? Our Torah portion begins in Numbers chapter 19. It covers a set of ordinances regarding a red heifer that we're going to talk about. Then there is chapter 20, which opens with the death of Miriam. And what we understand is that between the ordinance about the red heifer and the death of Miriam, that uh, 38 years elapse, that that period of judgment on the generation that wouldn't go into the land uh, is coming to a close, and we recognize that they took 40 years to get to Egypt, get from Egypt to the Promised Land. That that big chunk of time, 38 years, really takes place between chapter 19 and chapter 20 of Numbers. Okay, so when we get to uh, the point where we are in chapter 20, it's time for the people to start marching to the Promised Land. And that opens with the death of Miriam. Then there is strife over water. And you might recall that this is where Moses got in trouble. He was told to speak to the rock, and instead he struck it. Water came forth, but Moses was barred at that point for, from entering the promised land because he did not, according to the scripture, sanctify the Lord before the people. After that event... Uh, the people on the march are uh, disallowed from going straight north, which would have been the shortest route, uh, through the land of Edom. But the Edomites, who were basically their cousins, Edom was the, are the, were the descendants of Ishmael, not Ishmael. Esau. Esau, Esau. thank you. Um, but they, they were cousins, uh, Jacob's brother. And Edom said, no, you can't come through here. And so they had to keep marching eastward. And along the way, uh, it says after Edom refused them entry, Aaron died. And after Aaron died, uh, he is replaced by his son, Eleazar. And help me out here. We go to 22, yeah. Um, serpent. Yes, I, I, I kind of lost my bearings there for a second. So, so they, they then have some encounters with some enemies. Uh, they are um, uh, given some victory. The, the, the Lord then uh, says in chapter 21 that they set out from there and the people murmured against God and then fiery serpents were in the camp. And then the uh, Instruction, God said, uh, in order to stop the plague, you need to uh, fashion a bronze serpent and raise it up on a pole, and everybody who uh, looks at the serpent will be delivered from their uh, effects. So <clears throat> then there is this uh, song of the well. Uh, just you might remember a, a Sunday school song, Spring Up, Oh Well, Down in My Soul. <laughs> you know, that comes from this. And then we, we start to see some, some real victory along the way as they encounter two Amorite kings, uh, King Sion and King Og. Uh, both of those uh, kings come out against them and they are defeated. So 
there's just a, so much there to cover. Our Haftorah portion is about a man named Jephthah who was a judge, and he was set up as the leader over Israel despite the fact that he had uh, questionable beginnings. Uh, his brothers wouldn't recognize him uh, because he was not the son of their mother. He was the son of a concubine. Uh, he kind of lived and supported himself as a pirate for a long time, but apparently proved himself an able enough commander that when the chips were down, Israel came to him and said, hey, we need a good, good leader here. And so uh, Jephthah appears, and uh, he is the leader of Israel against some of their enemies. And we're going to try and tie all of this together in a, in a bit. It all seems a little bit disjointed right now. But uh, Jephthah was an unlikely candidate for the role that he found himself in. And then finally, our New Testament portion is in John chapter 3. And the connection is, let me just turn to that passage, John chapter 3, uh, verses 10 to 21. Should have had it bookmarked. It, of course, has that famous verse, uh, for God so loved the world, in verse 16. But chapter 10, this is uh, with Nicodemus, Jesus at night says to him, how can these things, Jesus, uh, Jesus answered, are you a teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? Jesus has just been telling him about how he must be born again, that uh, the, the spirit blows where he will uh, and you don't know where it comes from. So is everyone who's born of the spirit. He tells Nicodemus, uh, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the man who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so there's our connection to the Old Testament reading, is that serpent in the wilderness. And so, as I was telling you guys, um, the, and and really, there's there's several different threads running in this in in this assortment of passages, but the one thing that really stood out to me is the unlikely choices that God makes to set up either as an ordinance about a red heifer. I mean that, that that's got a lot of weirdness to it, and the rabbis talk about how it is completely inscrutable that this is just something we take. By faith, we don't understand how, how the ashes from a dead thing can clean people who are contaminated by dead things. That doesn't seem logical, because that's what the ordinance talks about, how to be clean from being contaminated and touching a dead person. Well, here's how you do it. You go ahead and you take this perfectly red heifer. What, 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 Bob, I think you brought it up. You can't, you can't have even one single white hair. No. Right? Uh, if we find one white hair on one whole cow, you're out. Right. That, that's pretty stringent. But how can you, you take this cow and you, you, you burn it all up and you take the ashes and you mix it with what did you call it, Lee? Uh, the living water, Li living water. So you mix it with living water and then you take this water. And if I have touched a dead person, I'm now contaminated and can't come into the camp, can't can't come into the presence of the Lord. But if you sprinkle me now with the water with the dead thing in it. I am made clean. That is a complete upside-down view of what we've kind of been learning about life and death and how they got to stay separate. But how does how does touching a dead thing make me unclean? Or you, you know, there's there's this this weird turn of events. And so that was kind of one of the threads that I saw in all of the reading. Um, so so. You said, how does touching a dead thing make me unclean? Is that what you said? No, what I said was, how, how do the ashes of a dead thing mm -hmm. purify me from touching a dead thing? That's, so, that's the paradox. So, so yeah, I, I think we should unpack that because, um, you know, I, I really like, Jerry, how 
you know, when we're reading the Bible, you keep the big arc of the story, you know, that there's the creation, the fall, redemption, glorification. So, right. And so, you know, the fall is really about how because of man's rebellion and man's independence that death Sin and death enter into humanity through Adam and Eve, the original sin. And so, and, and, and they're banished from the garden. They're banished from eternal life, eating of the tree of life. And so there's this real demarcation in the story between life and death. And this story of the red heifer comes just after we were talking about earlier in Numbers when after Korah's rebellion and, you know, they're swallowed up in the earth, you know, and they're, you know, I mean, sort of sounds like an analogy of hell, but they're <laughs> swallowed up in earth. And the next day the people are grumbling and God is just like, you people, you know, and so he puts a plague on them and, and Moses and Aaron pray and he sends Aaron out into the people and Aaron is burning incense, offering prayers to the Lord to atone for the people's sin, and standing between life and death. Mm -hmm. That's two chapters before the red heifer. Right. And I just can't help but see how there's this, you're right, There. how do, do the, does the ashes of a dead thing, a pure red heifer, I mean, this is, similar to an unblemished lamb, right? But it's mm -hmm. like an unblemished red heifer. And uh, it's burned up completely, even with its dung. And its ashes are then mixed with living water. How does that purify a person who has been contaminated with death and allow them back into the ability to be in relationship with God into the camp. Yeah. Well, Jerry, don't you think it's a foreshadowing of Jesus himself? Well, so that's where we are going to wind up, I think. You know, as far as the how does it, 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 it is because that's what God said it would be, right? So the point I wanted to kind of get through all of it was that there's this red heifer, which is a very weird way for God to say, this is how we're going to handle sin, how we're going to handle contamination. Then there's Jephthah, who is this very strange choice to become the leader uh, of the people in their battle against the enemies. And what I was, you know, Jephthah is the guy who is mostly known for vowing to offer whatever comes out his door to the Lord if God will give him victory. And his daughter was the first thing that came out of the door. And, you know, there's big debate about whether he actually sacrificed her or if she was uh, condemned to a life of virginity and barrenness. There's debate on, the, you know, good, good arguments on both sides of that. And I don't want to get into that so much. But either way, Jephthah is mostly known as a man of the rash vow and not so much for his his military prowess, or the fact that he led Israel so well for all these years. Um, what struck me the other day was reading his name in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, that whatever we might say about him, his unlikely uh, beginnings, his rash vow, that, God, why, why this one? I mean, he, he had so many questionable parts about him, yet you chose him to be your man in that moment. And it's, it's another example of this, this strange way that God has of choosing things that we wouldn't choose ourselves, which leads us to Yeshua then, right? right. Everything he did was kind of opposite <laughs> of what you would expect. The people of his day were looking for a conquering king, and he came as a humble servant. The people of his day were looking for somebody who would overthrow their enemies. And Jesus says, love your enemies. Long before Jesus ever appeared on the scene, Isaiah said, there will be nothing about him that demands 
affection or there will be nothing about him that will be popular or appealing, right? He will be despised and rejected. When Paul goes out to preach about Yeshua, what does he say to the Corinthians? I determined not to know anything else except this, Jesus crucified. Well, the message of the crucifixion was, in Paul's word, moronic, right? But he says the message of the cross, the message about Yeshua, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, that message embodies the wisdom and the power of God. And so the, the tie-in to the unblemished lamb, the tie-in to the red heifer who can't even have one white hair, the tie-in to the fact that Aaron dies here, mm-hmm. right? What, what, what is it all pointing to? We need somebody perfect who's not going to be touched by death or, or held by death at least. Somebody of God's own choosing that is not going to be the sort of person we might have chosen for ourselves. You know, Jerry, what comes to mind is that uh, the man looks at, at the outer part of a person, but God looks at the heart. And what name comes to me is, is Aaron himself. Mm-hmm. You know, at the beginning, you know, when, when the law was given and Moses went up to the mountain for 40 days, Aaron's the one that made the calf. He's the one that did it. And yet, not only did God forgive him, but he restored, he put him in charge of all the teaching of the Israelites and the head of the Levites. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's. I think that's an analogy that that would God would see the heart see the heart of a man himself to place him in the mission that he has. Amen. You know, um, I I think that <clears throat> when they put John three together with this, and if they had just started a little earlier. It would be really interesting because Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. So if you look at... Jesus as the atoning sacrifice, as our propitiation, he's not born of the flesh. He is incarnate in the flesh, but he is born of the Spirit. And it's through being born of the Spirit, better than any material red heifer unblemished land in the material plane, that's flesh, Flesh, which is dead, because we're all, as descendants of Adam, can't atone for death. It required being born of the Spirit, life, to pay the price and to conquer death. So I think that God is really pointing out here this demarcation between life and death. And that it requires not only the atoning sacrifice through the cross of Yeshua, Yeshua's atoning sacrifice, but it also is the opening for our regeneration into one new man. It's what allows us to enter the camp and be able to be into relationship with God and the dwelling place of the Lord when the Holy Spirit comes into us. Amen. We just had church, didn't we, John? <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, the other uh, unlikely thing which we haven't mentioned uh, that ties in here is that whole bronze serpent business. You know, I- imagine if you have been bit by one of these snakes, the last thing you want to do is look at another one, right? <laughs> yeah. But that's what God says. Erect a snake, put it on the pole. Now, the rabbis say that the reason that it was done that way was so that they would look up towards their Father in heaven and give thanks and repent. And that, that may be partly true. Uh, what I do believe without any hesitation, though, is the only people who looked and received the benefit were those who looked in faith, who said, this is the stupidest thing I ever heard of, mm-hmm. but I'm going to do it anyway because 
because God's man said do it. Kind of right. like kind of like Naaman, right? Uh, when when he went and, and and Elisha says to him, "Go dip in the Jordan seven times." That's the stupidest thing I ever heard, right? But that was what God wanted for Naaman, and so that's what God wanted for these people who'd been bitten by the snakes. Trust me, this looks stupid. This is not not a remedy you would have ever conceived, right? I mean, I mean, isn't that always the case? Always the case, yes. The remedy that God comes up with is so different and yet so much better Amen. than anything we concoct ourselves. He says, make a snake, put it on a pole. And, and, and think about that, too, just for a second, how extraordinary that is. What's the second commandment? Make for yourselves no, no graven images. I, th- I think, you know, the, the whole gospel is right here in John 3, and it's so relevant to this conversation because Jesus says, he says, in starting in uh, 3.13, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Mm -hmm. so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is him opening the doorway to heaven and eternal life. 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that he, the world might be saved through him. Amen. And, and you know, I, I think you can't, the reason the rabbis can't understand the red heifer is they're not looking at it from the point of view of Jesus. Could you maybe elaborate on that just a little for us? Well, I mean, you know... I, I think about the Old Testament as really God illustrating in the material world what is what what did what did Joe Combs said the the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Mm-hmm. So it's through you know it's like this red heifer is concealing this idea that the only way to atone for death. To overcome death is not only to have, you know, the unblemished red heifer be consumed and its ashes pay the price for our sin, but it's through this the resurrection of the ashes being mixed with the living water, with the spirit, that we are actually resurrected back into life. It's the regeneration process, mm-hmm. and it can't be understood without the regeneration of the resurrection and the cross. Yeah. I, I, it's a mystery otherwise. It, it is a complete mystery. Um, we, we, we read the uh, current commentaries from the rabbis, and it does go on and on about what a mystery this is, and we don't understand it but we accept it because it's the decree of God. And we have the benefit then of being on the other side of the cross and the resurrection. And in the same way that Yeshua walked on the road with those guys and opened up the scripture to them, meaning the old, what we call the Old Testament, and showed them on every page the story of himself, right? That Paul talks about uh, a veil is over the eyes of the Jewish people until it's removed. They cannot really see what's there in their pages. Jesus was not kidding when he said salvation is of the Jews when he said that to the woman at the well. But because of the many times we've read about the stubbornness of our Jewish hearts, and I want to say clearly to all who are listening that the Jews are representative of all humanity here. They are not the only ones with stubborn and rebellious hearts. <laughs> mm-hmm. They just happen to be the one the story is about here. But because in our na- human nature, we are rebels against God, whether we're Jews or Gentiles. Yes. And, and so, so this, this is representative of what would have happened if God had chosen another nation. And the same thing would have happened, right? Right. Because of the nature of humans 
after the fall. So that I wish I could remember where this train started because I don't remember where it's supposed to go. Well, I mean, <laughs> we, we were thinking, talking about... Oh, yeah, understanding. That's right. So, so until the veil is removed uh, over the Jewish heart, they cannot see why, how the red heifer points to Yeshua. Until the veil is removed from their heart, they cannot see how that bronze serpent points to Yeshua. Until the veil is removed from their heart, they cannot see why Jephthah is a type or a symbol of the Messiah to come. And in fact, what we should kind of reckon with is just this general idea that many of these people in the Old Covenant, in leadership positions, are pictures of Yeshua in one way or another. Mm -hmm. All of them come as saviors and deliverers to the people, the, all of those judges who, who pop up throughout the book of Judges, even as he begins with kings. A and that's the, the, the question of the, of the whole old covenant. Once God makes the promise that somebody's going to come to crush the head of the serpent, the question is, is this the one? Is this the one? Abel? Cain, is this the one? Moses, Aaron, is this the one? Joshua, is this the one? Jephthah, Samson, name them. David, Hezekiah, is this the one? Josiah, is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one? Is this one? Is this one? Right? Right. <laughs> until. Jesus himself. Until we get to Yeshua. And God reveals this one to us that we would not have picked out in a million years. Kind of like David. Mm-hmm who was the least of his brothers, the least likely looking, the, the, the runt of the litter, you know, however you want to think about him at that point. But Samuel was our, that really after all these impressive people that you, that you tried it out just now, this is the one I'm going to anoint. This, this shepherd? Isn't it yes, remarkable? It is remarkable. But God sees the heart. God looks at the heart. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. But even more, you know, Yeshua says, uh, he, he quotes this, this verse about him from, from, uh, from the Psalms, and it pops up in, in Hebrews, a body you have prepared for me, I come to do your will, right? That it was more than just looking at Yeshua's heart, it's that this is the Son of God from all eternity, a plan that has been worked out in the Godhead before the foundation of the world, mm -hmm. right? And... And and I and and I like the way you said that he Yeshua is spirit. He's born of the spirit. That's what John says. Mm -hmm. And the body was prepared for the spirit to inhabit, to incarnate. But all these other leaders, they're born of the flesh. And and the crucifixion or the or you know, the sacrifice of the flesh can't pay the price to overcome death and that's why it required life itself chayim yes i mean so if the creator is is manifest through the son of god the son of man <clears throat> the pinnacle of creation he is life itself and that is why he can overcome death. It's more than, it's beyond what Aaron did, standing in the gap between life and death. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, John begins his whole gospel with this idea. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, could not extinguish it, right? And that's what he's talking about in the eternal, indestructible life of the sun, mm -hmm. right? That physical death overtook his body, but the indestructible life was indestructible. He was life, and through him all life comes. Right. In him was life. So, yeah, I really love that, as long as we're in John chapter 3, there's this idea, uh, there, there's that faith aspect of how the Israelites had to look to the serpent 
Now we have to look to the one who is raised up. And Jesus is alluding there specifically to his crucifixion. You are going to have to look at a crucified one. Um, you're not going to be asked to look for somebody on a high horse leading an army, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to be asked to look for some wise, great teacher. You're going to be asked to look at a crucified one. And we sometimes miss what is understood by people of that time when we talk about crucifixion. It was reserved for the worst of the worst. It was the most humiliating as well as the most painful way to die. If you, if you were crucified, you had, you had crossed unimaginable lines to, to receive that kind of treatment. To ask anybody in that day to follow a crucified person, again, would have been considered insanity, moronic, as Paul talks about it. And it would be if he was merely crucified. But God demonstrates his power in this, that on the third day he raised him from the dead, proving him to be the Son of God in power, right? And so he's not merely the crucified Savior, which he is, but he's also the risen Lord. Amen. Well, Jerry, I have it right here on, on uh, John chapter three sixteen, chapter three verse sixteen. For God loved the world in his in this way, He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. And then uh, uh, down here a little bit further on eighteen, it says, "Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned, but everyone who does not believe is, does not believe is con- already condemned, because he." has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. He mentions that again. And I, I just it just came to mind, I've read this many times, but it just came to mind how inclusive God is, wanting everybody to come to Jesus, to come mm-hmm. and acknowledge his Son and the death, but how exclusive it is that he is the one and only way to get there. You know, and I think that's uh, important to note that, you know, God's arms are wide open, but you've got to come through this way. Yes. You the know. door is open for everybody, but there's only one door. Amen. <laughs> and, and, you know, um, the, the, the gate is narrow. I mean, look how narrow it was for Moses, who is described as the most meek, you know, an incredible servant, leader. I mean, he's offered himself his own death. Earlier, he offered his own death. In place of the people, he pleaded for God not to, you know, turn his back on the people, even when the people murmured and grumbled and revolted against Moses himself. And yet Moses lifted up his hands in Numbers 20:11 and smote the rock with his rod twice, and water came forth abundantly, and the congregation drank in their cattle. So he still you know, giving forth the water for the people in 12. And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, because ye believe not in me to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, in a way, I've it's sort of, a reflection to me of the journey of the Jewish people because the Jewish people, what an improbable story through history that the Jewish people who have carried this Torah from country to country, you know, and and treat it with such love and the way they letter it. and 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 yet, you know, it's like, because they haven't can't understand or haven't been able to accept and believe in Yeshua's their salvation his very name Yeshua means salvation you know that they are being denied the promised land of not just atonement for their sins and forgiveness and reconciliation where the veil is torn and they can have communion with God, but the regeneration that comes from God's grace. I mean, yeah, 
an incredible demonstration of grace. He takes a dead red heifer, burns it up, their ashes, mixes in water, and through that grace, people's, you know, contamination with death is through that grace purified. Right? purified. You know, and so God is offering our grace, offering his grace to us through Yeshua. And, you know, we just pray that, that, that our Jewish brothers and sisters, just like Paul says in Romans, what is it, 10, Jerry says, you know, he has a heart for his bro Jewish brothers and sisters, you know, just to take off the blinders, read the New Testament, think for yourself, judge for yourself, and see if this isn't the continuity story that God started with the Jewish people in the Old Testament and the path of his redemption and salvation for all people. You're right, for all people. But, and, that means not, not just for the Jews, but definitely for the Jewish people. Jesus himself same I can't said I came first for the Jews. Yes. I don't know how I got <laughs> off on that. Sorry, Jerry. No, 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 no. That's great. But but just think how revolutionary that this law that we're reading now was at the time. You know, God God was silent from from Noah and to Abraham, which is a, you know a, a time. But then for 400 years, he's silent, and then, then he delivers the law. And look what it's, a lot of the laws that we have today on our books, our civil laws, are coming out of this Old Testament. Yeah, I mean, Moses is, I mean, one of the greatest historical figures in humanity's history, and he can't enter the promised land. I think that's how we got there, that mm -hmm. the way is narrow. Right. And the way is narrow because... It's in Ephesians 2, it says, by grace, you have been saved through faith. Right. Amen. So let me just jump in here with a little bit of what the rabbis say about Moses not going into the promised land. Um, there's a variety of uh, views. Uh, some of them will sound familiar. Uh, Moses couldn't enter. He sinned in striking the rock rather than speaking to it. Some. Oh. And, and this is a pretty common interpretation that you'll hear in churches, pastors who are preaching this today. They'll say this was Moses' sin, that God had commanded him to speak to the rock. Unlike in Exodus when he was told to strike the rock, this time he's told to speak to the rock. And instead, he loses his temper and he hits the rock twice. Water comes out, uh, comes gushing out. Oh, by the way, Jerry, uh, some archaeological evidence, they found that rock. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it is. It's a giant rock that split, and you can see the waterfall from that wall. Oh, yeah? The, the, the traces of the waterfall coming through it. It's very interesting. Okay. Well, there's a lot of uh, interesting discussion about that rock and what it did and didn't do. And <laughs> uh, the rabbis have, in my opinion, some pretty fanciful ideas how the rock rumbled along with them from here to there and here to there. Okay. Um, and also how after Miriam died... Uh, the rock wouldn't give any more water because she had a certain level of merit that allowed the water to flow. Okay. So uh, mm -hmm. there, there's some, some very interesting conversation. But let me just go through some various ideas of Moses' sin, according to the rabbis. So one, he sinned by striking the rock. Others say, no, the sin was that he became angry. Remember, he became angry. And he used those words, must we give you water from this rock? putting himself in the place ah. of God, right? Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> uh, that's considered another, another explanation for what his sin was. And that, that explanation says this would explain why God said that they had not sanctified his name. Must we give you the water, right? Uh, another explanation says that this was kind of like the, the final... Um, justification that God needed to prevent Moses and Aaron from entering into the land because prior to this moment they had also sinned and it would have been unfair for that generation to have died in the wilderness without them dying in the wilderness because Aaron sinned in the matter of the golden calf mm -hmm. 
and Moses sinned, and this, this is according to the rabbis, Moses sinned in sending out the spies. Hmm. So it's kind of an interesting way that they try to wrap all of this together. Uh, but I think for, for us, you know, maybe the idea is, uh, I don't know about you guys, but certainly I've, I've heard the explanations in, in preaching in the past. Moses' sin was, was uh, disobedience in, 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 uh, stri in, in striking the rock, in, or, or in striking the rock instead of speaking it, or his sin was, was uh, the anger, or his sin was, yeah, no, that, that, that's it. So we've, we've heard those. But I think the, 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 the lesson that maybe we could talk about is the high accountability level yes. that God has for leaders. That even somebody like Moses, Hebrews says he was faithful in all of God's house. But in the end, there was one white hair. Yes. Yeah. Right? <laughs> in Amen. the end, he, he wasn't the one because he did sin as great and as high and as lofty and exalted as he was as humble and meek a man that ever walked the earth according to that passage there the meekest man on the face of the earth still had a couldn't hair. be could yeah had a white, had a white hair or maybe a couple right he could not be the savior he could not be the savior. But also, and it's, it's um, and I, you know, whether you agree with the rabbis or not on the commentary, but also early in his log, God's told Moses, you must always honor me before the Israelites. And he didn't on this particular time. No, he didn't. And, and, and you know, he was born of the flesh. He wasn't born of the spirit. I mean, we are born into sin. That is, you know... I mean, we, we, we have a spirit and, and, you know, we have a soul and we have flesh, you know, dust. But we're born into sin, all of us human beings, including Moses. And mm -hmm. we, we need salvation through Yeshua, who's born from spirit. And the body is prepared because it was only life that could pay that price and conquer death. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a good point, Lee. You know, before we take our first breath in this world, we have two strikes against us. You know, we're born into sin, and we're born into a sinful world. So for God, I mean, in a, in a sense, it doesn't seem fair to, to maybe the natural mind, but God sent, a, sent a, his son for a way out of this. Yeah. So that's that's the thing that I think we need to look at in all of this. That is God's patience, His forgiveness, and His love for us to extend it to us the, the the way out. Well, going back to that John passage, the verse that gets left out so often uh, once we quote John three sixteen is what what comes next. For I did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. Amen. Right. Yes. Yeah, so He's not coming to go. Oh, you sinner! You know, no. He's coming to say, believe in me, and not only will I wash, will my blood wash you of your sin, but I will provide the way for you to re regenerate, to be resurrected as a new man. Amen. And, and, you know, it's not going to happen in one day. We're, our natural man's still going to, you know... My, for me, my anger is still going to erupt, you know, the, the, the lust of the flesh, you know, the lust of the eyes, you know, these things are these habits, you know, that we're born into that develop. They're still going to happen, but through the, the resurrecting power of the regeneration and, and the Holy Spirit working in us, we can become more and more conformed to his image and that is the path of sanctification that jesus said i'll ask the holy spirit i will ask the father to send the holy spirit to come dwell in you and the holy spirit will convict us will teach us will guide us 
so goodly. And, and you know, uh, and about the regeneration you're talking about, that's what it's all about. That's why he came. And I, and I believe that uh, when Jesus says, I will give you life and give it to you more abundantly, well, that word life is Zoe. And that means God will give you his life. Not, your, not a new one from you, but this life will come from God himself. So all of it is, it, you, know, you know, when it points to Jesus, it points to life. And the whole Bible, what you said, you know, it, from the very beginning, you know, choose life or death, but choose. So I think it's a, a good point that you're making. We got a little bit off tangent here. No, that's, that's, that's fine. You know, just thinking of, of, of all that's been said, uh, it is to the uh, end of sin and death that Jesus came. Mm-hmm. And when God gives us new birth and we are regenerated and we are joined into the one new man which is Christ which is Messiah and the intention that God had according to Paul in Romans is that we would be conformed to the image of God's son that Jesus might be the first of many brothers and sisters who look just like him in the father's house right this process towards sanctification towards being completely holy the battle is what Paul calls the flesh. Others call it the old nature, the old man, uh, depending on on who you, you know, which preacher or which version of the of the New Testament you're reading. But Paul calls it a principle within us, and this is this is the thing that I think goes back to what you're saying about Moses that he couldn't evade his human nature. He 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 could not overcome it on his own. That even though he was the most humble man, even though he was this terrific intercessor, in a moment of extreme stress, the flesh revealed itself. The old Mm. nature popped out, right? And so that's, you know, (laughs) I I guess sort of along the lines of Hebrews, I would say, if if such a man as Moses (laughs) had to deal with us, how much more (laughs) do we need to be on guard about the upspringings of our old nature right Amen. And, and and to humble ourselves each day to to come with that i, I like to start each day by reminding god and myself that I, i'm i'm a living sacrifice asking to be transformed in the renewing of my mind and not conformed any longer to the shape of this world right yes right you know there, there's so many passages that talk about this idea Amen. Put to death your members on the earth. Set your eyes on, on heaven where Jesus is, right? I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I but the life of Christ in me, right? I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, I think is how it goes in, in Galatians. Just so many passages that reinforce this one main idea. Just because we had a moment of coming to faith in Christ, we need to understand that that is the beginning of a journey that God has designed to shape us into the image of his son, right? Amen. And on that journey, we can make that journey, I think, more or less agreeable to ourselves to the degree that we are willing to submit to God's leadership in uh, putting putting to death the old man, you know. Um, You know, Romans chapter 6 is just such an outstanding passage and it calls to us for faith because it says, you were dead and buried with Christ. In God's mind, when Jesus died, everyone who believed in him afterwards also was in the tomb with him. And he says, then you have been raised with Christ. In God's mind, Everyone who would believe in Yeshua was raised when he was raised. Now he says, you need to put to death your members on the earth because you used to be servants to sin, but now offer yourself as servants to God and righteousness. But this is a matter of the will. This is the matter of knowing the truth, that this is what our calling is, and then saying, yes, that's what I want. Lord, help me. You know, another simple prayer. I love John the Baptist. Let him increase, let me decrease. Mm. Right? Right. This is this is this this is what God wants for us, our sanctification. And and you know, one thing, Jerry, and, and uh and that he also calls us his masterpiece. 
He's continually working on us. And that's what I, I mean, to call something a masterpiece, to, to, to say, hey, this is something I'm working on, and I'm putting a lot of pride in, I'm putting everything I am to make you, Jerry, to make you, Lee, to make you, Bob, like my son. I mean, you know, what I see it is that God's on the outside chiseling us down. The Holy Spirit's within the inside shaping us, and it's the portrait is of Jesus. That's mm-hmm. how he wants us to become. Yeah. And I just think that, you know, when, when Jesus died, you know, we, and, and he told his, his disciples, say, look, I'm not going to leave you. You know, I'm going to send a helper to help you through this. And all of it, all of it is a message of love from God himself. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And it's... Uh, and that's the, what's the whole message what we're reading now from 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 Genesis to Revelation is it, it condenses in that. And that's such a good word is you know, however else we talk about the story of the Scripture, it is the story of God's love for His creation, and His intention to have a creation defined by His love. Amen. Right? <clears throat> I I, I kind of laugh when you're talking about God's God's masterpiece. Uh, couple of different scenarios ran through my mind. Uh, a potter, for instance, uh, he's working on a piece and he's got it all shaped up and then he doesn't like the way it looks and he just smashes it down to start again, right? I felt that one. <laughs> or, or people who work in metal, what do they do? They take the metal and they put it in the fire and they melt it and they shape it into something new and then uh, they get some other metal and they melt that down and they say, oh, this isn't pure enough, let me put it back in the fire, right? that none of this happens without discipline, the Lord's discipline. And we want to be very clear that God always acts in love. All things work together for good for those who are called according to God's... No, I can't even say it right. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose... Love is in there somewhere. <laughs> I can't remember how it goes. Um, I should look it up. Romans, Romans 8.28. 8, All yes. things work together for good. For those who love God and are called Four according to his purpose. There, there it is. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So... So Paul is talking there about all the various things then that could happen to you. Right. <laughs> Life, death, uh, angels forces, all kinds of stuff. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. But nowhere in the New Testament writings will you find anybody saying, now that you believe in Jesus, everything is going to be sunshine and rainbows, right? It's going to be... In the world, you'll have trouble, trials, tribulation, to use that old-fashioned big word. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, is what Yeshua said to his disciples that night. One of the amazing verses to me on this whole subject is in Philippians, <clears throat> where Paul writes to them and he says, and these are some people now who've been going through some, some, some trials, some persecution, some opposition from, from the local government, from, from the Romans who were in town. He says to them, it's not only been given you to believe in his name, but also to suffer for his sake. It's been given you. It is a gift from God to you to believe in him and to suffer for his sake. Mm. What an amazing, different (laughs) view of the Christian life than what we typically hear preached to us. You know, come to Jesus and everything will be great. Come to Jesus and all your problems will be over. Mm-hmm. I think we've lived long enough as as followers of Yeshua to know by experience that that's just not true. But I wouldn't trade it. Right. Right. <laughs> but, and, 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 and I think, you know, that the passage in John that we read is is helpful for that because it says, and this is the judgment, this is John 3.19, and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world And people love darkness rather than light Mm -hmm. because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. So if we're going to come into the light and let the light shine through us, God's 
light shine through us into the darkness of the world, you can expect to run into some troubles, trials and tribulations. So, you know, it's a package deal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I love the package. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think that I just want to paint a picture that might look different than what a lot of, of, of people think Christianity and following Jesus is about. That it's not about getting everything you want in this world. It's not about all of your problems being solved in this world. Uh, it is about being shaped by God as we go through this world to where our home really is. And, you know, earlier you talked about God doesn't, doesn't use that angry voice, Come on, you sinners! When you said that, it, it reminded me of a song, uh, Softly and Tenderly, Jesus is Calling, Calling, O Sinner, come home right softly and tenderly i didn't come to condemn the world i didn't come to speak to you in an angry voice i came to speak to you with an invitation i knock at the door right i'm knocking i'm not barging in i'm not crashing down the door to wag my finger in your face to yell at you i'm simply saying here i am i am life i am salvation i'm yeshua salvation here's my gift to you follow me it's a, it's a gift you know and I, that's what i that's what i find so amazing so many people think that and i used to jerry that you know if, if my good deeds outweigh my bad right i'll get to heaven right but if that was the case he would not have had to ascend jesus he, we, we all need a savior well paul writes that to the galatians if righteousness could come by the law yeshua died for nothing exactly right so, so that that's the point that I, I mean that's the I think that's the biggest lie told and the biggest lie believed and I hate to say the word lie but it's it's simply mm -hmm. not true and and it's and people need to know that this is a gift and right. God wants everyone to receive this gift it's made he's already died for all the person's sins your past present and future and the gift is saying hey accept my son as your savior and then you will have my life, and I'll give it to you abundantly. Right. And just the, the, the repentance and accepting Jesus would be the, the you become a son of God. Hey. And, and your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. If you were in Ephesians 2 ministry, one new man, and Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say, By grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Amen. 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 The gift of God. We were talking before the show about how uh, maybe you might choose to die for a righteous man to die in their place. Uh, it did, there is a, a story of a priest who actually did that in a concentration camp, asked if he could be executed in the place of another condemned man. But that's pretty rare, pretty rare. We would have a hard time saying, oh yeah, kill me instead of him, even though he's a good man. We, we're not ready to give up our lives. But the Bible says God proves his love to us in this fact. While we were still his enemies, Messiah Yeshua died for us. And that's what we're trying to share with you, our listening audience, is just this good news that there is a gift of salvation, a gift of Yeshua that God has made to the human race. Jesus came not to condemn you, but to save you. But it is a question of your decision. It is a question of your believing. Whoever believes shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so we invite you to explore Yeshua, especially if you're one of our Jewish brothers who's listening and this is maybe new to you or you've been taught in the past that Jesus isn't for Jews. We just invite you, check it out yourself. Read the New Covenant. See how Jewish it is and see if Jesus doesn't fit all of the pictures of what Messiah will do when we carefully read the Old Testament scriptures. We invite all of you to accept God's gift of love and grace and salvation in Yeshua and become part of the one new man, the new creation that God is building, the creation that will be indestructible, the creation that will be free of sin, free of sorrow, free of death. We invite you through Yeshua to become 
one new man in him through faith. This is God's invitation. This is our earnest hope for every one of you that we will all celebrate one day around the throne of God through faith in Yeshua, his only begotten son. We are One New Man Ministries. We're so glad you joined us. Hope to see you or hear from you again uh, next Sunday. God be with you.